We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Inspired by the presence of Captain Jack Youngblood, playing in pain with his broken leg. A savage Ram defense. They hand it to Steven. Great jump cut. 45 seconds. Sees a whole burst to it. 20. Side steps to tackle. Runs left. 25 still on his feet. 46-yard goal by number 39. Running back, number 29, Eric Dickerson. Johnny Hecker. High school quarterback is going to throw. The fake is on it. He's got a first down to Stephen Bailey. Mike Jones made the tackle. And the Rams have won the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Rams Talk Radio with Derek C. Apollo and Michael Stewart. Derek C. Apollo, your host on the show as we continue our tour on the league, helping you become more familiar with the opposition, with the rest of the team in the NFL. You, our Rams fans, here we go. Tonight's show, we have Bobby Land from the Houston Sports Talk, taking with the Houston Texans, and Alex Kazora from Steeler Depot. Before we even get into the show, let's go ahead and hear from our sponsors. Check it out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, if you are a fan of the show, and especially touring the league, and, and some of you are, some of you have let us know you've really enjoyed it. We've had Robbie, Robert Land, Bobby Land on the show many times covered but when, when dealing with the Texans and so on and so forth. And the last time we talked to him, oh my gosh, he, he was down. He was down on this team. He was a guy who was hurting. It's a complete and total difference now. Check it out as we talk about the 2023 Texans and where they're going and see if you can pick out the difference. All right, folks, in here with Robert Land from Houston Sports Talk, our, basically our, our Houston connection. Whenever I need something for the Astros or the Texans, I call him first. Always on the talks in sports with us, hence Houston Sports Talk. And today we're talking about the Houston Texans. Bobby, how you doing? Oh, doing good. It's, it's good to be a little bit more relevant for the first time in a while with the Texans. It's been a rough couple of years, but a lot more excitement these days. Last time we talked, it was about those Texans and just how awful they were. And by awful, God awful. Uh, instantly, your first remark to me now is something a bit brighter. I mean, it was doomsday last time we talked. So how have the times changed? Well, a couple of big things happened. Uh, first of all, I think Cal McNair, I don't know if it was because of his wife or because of his mother, who's, I guess, the official owner, but Cal McNair has been the front guy since his dad, Bob, died. And so he, one of the two got to him or people around him finally got to him or something happened, but there was a big change. You know, it just was a disaster with the way Bill O'Brien was handling everything, uh, you know, him him basically getting railroaded into handing everything over to Bill O'Brien, then handing it over to Jack Easterby, who was this sort of con man that, you know, preacher that was working for the Patriots organization and basically took over the Texans organization uh, and, and really backstabbed his way to the top. But Jack Easterby, a few months ago, they finally got rid of him. Uh, Casario, it's hard to say what he has as a GM because Easterby, we felt like, was pulling the strings a little bit. But now Easterby is gone. And it wasn't just that move, but the biggest move that you could have made was D'Amico Ryans. And I, mm -hmm. I hear a lot of people bad-mouthing the Texans uh, nationally saying, oh, this is a joke of an organization. Yeah, it's been a joke the last three or four years. But a few months ago, everybody thought D'Amico Ryans was one of the best young coaching candidates in the NFL. You know, took uh, the 49ers defense to some Super Bowls, and that defense was a big part of that. And he's incredibly well-respected here in Houston for what he did and really bringing the Texans from an expansion franchise to a playoff franchise uh, in his time with Houston and, and just his leadership. And he was beloved at that time. He was a second-round pick, middle linebacker, leader of the defense. And once you made that move and, and, and you brought his presence over, everything changed. And then the next job was, you got to get a quarterback. And they decided 
to go with CJ Stroud. They screwed up, you know, by not losing that last game. But we'll see if they screwed up because if Stroud's a better quarterback than Bryce Young in the end, then maybe that doesn't matter. But yeah, that's what changed things is there's excitement over CJ Stroud. It's not Deshaun Watson excitement like we saw a few years ago. It's not mm-hmm. quite that yet. But D'Amico is a night and day difference than the disaster that was Bill O'Brien and, you know, just very uninspired moves with the David Culley and, and Lovey Smith moves in the last couple of years, them as coaches. But uh, yeah, there, there's, there's buzz again. There's buzz again, really, Derek. And that's the big thing. Now, in fairness, I thought those teams, despite their lack of talent, oftentimes played hard for, for Lovey Smith and, and David Culley. I never, I never felt like they got a fair shake. If they were set up to fail, how's that sound? It felt like those coaches were set up to fail. And now... Yeah, yeah that's... Well, for Cully, uh, he was just... There was a level of incompetence there. Just because, I, I just... no, He was never somebody that anybody had on their coaching radar. And so I, I didn't understand that. But yeah, there was no talent with, with that group. And there wasn't much talent with Lovey Smith's group. But... There was still a level of what are these guys doing? We, we, you know, it's, it's a football town. You know, Houston's a football town. People know what's going on. And those last two guys, they just didn't look like they knew what they were doing from, you know, an X's and O's standpoint. And it wasn't just them. It was the guys that they hired, the guys that were brought in to help them out. It was all the way around. And now you have D'Amico, not just the head coach, but he's running the defense. And then Bobby Slowick, who was brought over from the 49ers and, and, and he watched things happen with Kyle. Sh- and we know what's happened with Kyle Shanahan and the Kyle Shanahan tree. Kyle Shanahan started here in Houston. You know, mm-hmm. his ascent started here with uh, the, the Texans back around, I think it was 2008 or not. Matt Schaub's best year as a quarterback was with Kyle Shanahan as his quarterback coach and basically offensive guru and really got Matt Schaub on track as an NFL quarterback. And, uh, and, and then Kyle Shanahan's career took off. So, you know, Bobby Slowick and D'Amico Ryan's running things. It's just, just that what they've done already is, is a big improvement. So looking forward here now, I mean, obviously just your tone is different. You know, it's nice to see. Um, you're looking at this team with CJ Stroud coming in. I'm an Ohio State guy, so I'm very interested in what you have to say about him because I, I feel like you guys get yourself a player there. So tell me about what you guys are seeing thus far about with C.J. Stroud. There's an excitement with C.J. because he brings some accuracy. Obviously, there's a little bit of athleticism there, but you have no idea yet. I mean, we're three days away or a couple of actually two days away now from the first preseason game as you and I are speaking. So that is going to be a real test. I can see what he can do out there against, you know, a defense that, is actually try to get to him and, and we'll see what happens with, you know, how he looks with that. But um, at this point, it, it's much too early. Uh, you know, the, the, the comments out there are all great. Um, I, I have uh, with my podcast, my host, my co-host is uh, Sean Bajani. He's with sports radio 610. He's out there every single day with the Texans, every time they uh, run a practice or whatever. And, and Sean's, uh, with the Texas affiliate, the Texans affiliate of Sports Radio 610. So that's why he's out there all the time. And, and, and he really likes what he's seen from CJ Stroud. But he is throwing some interceptions in practice. And, 
you know, that's a concern, but that's what you would expect. It's a rookie quarterback. And, you know, I don't know what, what there is to expect from CJ Stroud in his rookie year. Most rookie quarterbacks just don't look good. You talk about interceptions. I think Peyton Manning had 28, maybe his rookie year, something like that. So even somebody like Peyton struggled his rookie year with uh, throwing the ball the wrong team. So we'll see, we'll see what CJ, I, I mean, for me, it's just, I got to see him actually play some real games or at least some real scrimmages at least or something like that before I can really get a gauge as to what he is. We went out there right away during the draft as well and, and took Will Anderson Jr., number three overall, to the two and three. Where does he fit in right now? I mean, how excited are you to have Will Anderson Jr. in your squad? Oh, the, there's glowing reports for Will Anderson and what they've seen out with him so far. And it's a, is a real controversial deal because the Texans basically traded a bunch of assets. People thought way too many assets for Will Anderson. And in a way, you know, it's funny. I think people looked at it as, oh, you're trading all of this for Will Anderson. But it was really what they were doing was trading everything they that they did for the Will Anderson, C.J. Stroud combination. And we know quarterback and pass rusher are pretty much your two most important elements on either side of the football. So, you know, you could say, well, it was all for Will Anderson, but I think the organization might look at it a little bit differently. I thought they gave up way too much the way they did things. Um, but if you get somebody in Will, Will Anderson, that's not just a really good football player, but I think the other thing, they think he's going to be a leader and a tone setter. And if you have leadership and somebody that everybody else can get behind, not just the talent, but all of that other stuff, the intangibles. I mean, we're watching here in Houston, the Astros, and it's just, they're loaded. They've been loaded with intangibles up and down the organization for the last six years. And we've seen four World Series appearance, two championships, uh, six straight ALCS appearance. I mean, it's about what you have in that clubhouse uh, with the Astros and you, you you need guys like that. You need leaders. And that's what they think Will Anderson can be. Um, did they give up too much? I, I think they gave up. I don't, I, I don't know who they were bidding against and what they were bidding against because it, it, it honestly didn't make sense. And the frustrating thing wasn't that they gave up a first and a third round pick this coming season, but it was they gave up the first and the third round pick that they had their own picks instead of the pick. The, the picks that they had with the Deshaun, because they still have a first and third round. They still have picks every round this coming season, but instead of their own, they got Cleveland's. And you, you just got to hope that somehow the Texans might be better than Cleveland this year to make that, you know, make that trade worthy. And of, of course, you got to get something really great out of Will Anderson over the next few years. And, and that's going to be key. I mean, you know, Cleveland's in a tougher division, though, too. Yes, Cleveland definitely is a tougher division, but. The Texans are starting a rookie quarterback and rarely do rookie quarterbacks, you know, do much better than, you know, five, six, seven wins. And, and, and the, the Texans are, you know, they've got an easy division compared to Cleveland's division, although got a little bit, maybe got a little bit uh, easier over there with Joe Burrow and stuff. But I, I just, uh, you know, I, I, that, that's the concern because this is a loaded quarterback draft coming up. So you, you got to hope that C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson both hit. They need them to hit because if not, it's really going to look like a disaster uh, giving up all those picks because, you, you know, you had acquired all those picks. You had done all the good work in that Deshaun. I think they did a great job with the Deshaun trade. They got a bunch of assets back. 
Um, and, and, you know, you, you felt like you squandered a little bit with the way this was handled. And the concern here in Houston is not with the Mika Ryans at this point. I think it's more this Casario. And this, this season for the Texans is about where you are with the general manager and what he's been able to do with player personnel over his first three drafts. Because, you know, you got guys like Kenyon Green, who looked t- terrible last year as a first round pick. Stingley was picked by the Texans with the third pick, the fourth pick. Uh, you might have heard of that cornerback. He's he's going to, you know, Pro Bowls, all pros and stuff like that <laughs> with the Jets. And they could have got him. But and, and instead, they got Stingley, who's a guy that just can't seem to stay on the field in college in the NFL so far. So uh, Derek Stingley's got to start doing something for them. Uh, Kenyon Green, some of these other picks, we got to see more out of them. Uh, you would hope that, you know, D'Amico Ryans can do something with some of these guys that maybe we haven't seen in the past. But, you know, it's 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 that that's the real that's the real uh, thing this year is is how how is some of this talent going to start looking? Well, the rest of the draft, uh, Juice Scruggs going down the round two, round three, Nathaniel Dell. How do you view the rest of this draft class? We loved it. I mean, I think Texans fans liked what they did with the picks. Some of the other picks, Juice Scruggs was one of the best centers. Centers was a huge position that they needed to upgrade. Quesenberry, who started last year after their starter, Justin Britt, I think there were some some mental issues, some some of that sort of stuff that uh, basically he left the team and that was the end of his career. So Quesenberry got thrown in. And, you know, uh, Quesenberry, uh, I think I said David, it's Scott Quesenberry. We had a David Quesenberry with the Texans a few years ago, but his brother, uh, Scott Quesenberry, was injured and he was running with the ones at center. So now Juice Scruggs, who might have had a little bit of leeway to learn the position, he might have had some time. He's now get, getting thrown in the fire with that. You know, this is a guy that a lot of people consider one of the best centers in the draft. They needed a center, you know, for all intents and purposes. I mean, you wanted to see him play, but now they've got they got no backup with him. So he's got to he's got to be good. And then, you know, the other uh, pick you mentioned, Tank Dell. I mean, <laughs> there, there was no more popular pick than Tank Dell. Tank Dell, outstanding at Houston. Uh, he's exciting, explosive. He's had some plays in camp that get people excited. C.J. Stroud wanted him. He wanted him and and sort of pushed the Texans into. Hey, let's draft this guy. I watched him out at the comp. I really liked what I saw at the combine with him. So yeah, Tank Dell should bring some real excitement and and these receivers. It's a it's a big year for these receivers because Tank Dell, and then last year they drafted John Mechie, who's coming back from cancer. He missed his first season with cancer. Both of those guys, second round picks. Nico Collins, two years ago, was a second round pick. So you have three second round picks. Everybody says the tech. Texas receiving core is trash. Well, there's three second round picks. They just don't have a whole lot of experience. So we'll see. But that, that that's a that's a big reckoning this year, too. Um, but the, the the big thing with the op- offense is, you know, you do still have Damian Pearson. If people didn't watch Damian Pierce last year, Derek, did you, did you get a chance to see many of his highlights? I did. Yeah, I very I, impressive. I really predicted, you know, before the season started that 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 guy was the steal of the draft and he was going to be one of the best running backs in football and he looked fantastic. He he had an injury late. They held him out I think the last couple of games though just to 
protect him a little bit and, you know, make sure he's healthy going into the next year because he could have come back and easily had a thousand yard rookie season. But when you got Damian Pierce in that offense, and then they also added Dalton Schultz, one of the best pass catching tight ends in football. So the receiving core is young, but they got a good veteran in Dalton Schultz that's, you know, been real steady with the Cowboys over the last few years. I think that was one of the most underrated free agent signings of the offseason by any team. So, yeah, the Texans uh, offense, they've got some stuff to work for with with this rookie quarterback and maybe some, you know, sort of security blankets for him on the offensive side. Well, look at both the offense and defense right now. How do they fit in with the rest of this division, which isn't very good overall? How do they fit in right now? Well, I, I, it seems like, you know, outside of the Jags, uh, the Texans are going to be competing with the other two teams without question. Because really, the Titans, I mean, it's they, they've lost a lot of talent over the last couple of years. And Brable's done a fantastic job. But at some point, you would think that the, that was it's going to all catch up to them. And they can't just, you know, be holding it together, especially as Derrick Henry gets year after year of taking punishment. Uh, and, and, and then with the Colts, you know, they, the, the quarterback situation just is a, a continual issue. And and now they got, you know, some griping with their star running back. And it's just it, they seem to be a little bit in disarray. You know, they, they had talent a couple of years ago and you thought they were really building something, but they can't get the quarterback straight. So when you look at it, it's which one of these three teams is going to have something decent offensively with, you know, two quarterbacks that, um, you know, potentially two quarterbacks. And we by the end of the year, we might have three rookie quarterbacks playing because. They all drafted a rookie quarterback. They all drafted a quarterback this year, so you could have three rookies going uh, potentially. But you know, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I, I don't think it's 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 too much to say the Texans have a shot with the second uh, second place in the division. When you look at this division, it's just you know it's kind of a mess outside of Jacksonville. Well, then so we've seen teams come back around, have look horrible. And then in a rough division or just with an easier schedule or just things falling their way, they make a quick turnaround. What are the odds in your view that Texans make a quick turnaround? It's hard for me to imagine that they're going to get anywhere above 500. Could they get seven wins? I kind of think they have a shot at seven wins this year, but stuff has to go right for them. They, they, they need some health stuff because they're not super deep at a lot of positions. Uh, the best position group honestly looks like the secondary right now. As we've gone through training camp, they added Jimmy Ward from the 49ers, who's a really good veteran. Jalen Petrie looked pretty good as a rookie last year and, and continues to get a lot of praise in camp this year. And he's been all over the field. You know, Stingley definitely has talent. It's just a matter of keeping him on the field at cornerback. And they've got a bunch of other really good cornerback. So the secondary has got some talent. Um, they've got to figure out they've been one of the, not just one of the worst. They are a, tr a joke, a travesty against the run. And we'll see. They made some moves to help themselves, the defensive line and linebacking core. And, and, and of course, D'Amico Ryan's, if, if they can square that up, then the defense doesn't look too bad. And, and, th and they're going to be in these games. And I think that's where we're going to see if, if this coaching and a, and a rookie quarterback, you know, you got a rookie head coach, you got a rookie offensive coordinator. So it's, it's a lot to ask for, but you know, with this division, I, I definitely think seven wins is 
doable because it's not just that they, they have a bad division, but really the schedule is not the toughest schedule either. I mean, they're last place team. They got a last place schedule. And you look at it, you're like, yeah, there, there is some winnable games. Early in the season, it's going to be a little bit tougher. But the second half of the season, and they'll be hopefully improving by that point, they, they got a chance. At some, there's a lot of place on that schedule. You see, have a chance where they could be in that game. They might be able to win that one. They might be able to win that one. You know, it's one of those deals. And it's the NFL. You know, it's a bounce of the ball. You only get whatever, 10 or 11 possessions. And that, that's not much. It, it, it makes the variables a lot less. All right. So there you go. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Can let people know where they can find your work. And it's good work. So let people know where they can find you. Yeah, it's Houston Sports Talk. We're on YouTube now and, you know, all your podcast apps. I do the show with Sean Bajani, Sports Radio 610. He's been with the Texans Networks, 610's the Texans Network for the last 15 years uh, doing sports talk there, doing reporting, writing for those guys. And then um, we've been going for 10, this will be 10 years in September that we've been doing this show, uh, closing on 1,400, 1,400 episodes, uh, 300 guests. Uh, we've had Simone Biles two years before she was an Olympic gold medalist. We had Mina Kimes before anybody had ever heard of her was on our show. Um, we have, you know, a, a lot of players that, you know, everybody around baseball knows Altuve and Springer and Correa have all been guests. And from the football side, we just had Case Keenum on. We had uh, former Texan Glover Quinn on recently and David Anderson, who uh, played for the, both guys played for the Texans, but also played with D'Amico Ryan. So we've had some really fantastic guests over the years and just proud of uh, a lot of the stuff that, you know, we're just able to do at the beginning of uh, really the podcast era, I would call it. Thanks again so much for time and we appreciate it. Thanks. All right. So there you go. Bobby's excited. He's excited for this team. And, and what you don't know is we talked even a while longer after we finished recording and he just had a whole lot to say about where this team's going. Look, don't don't sleep on the Texas. They seem they're figuring it out. And I wouldn't be surprised if they made a few waves in that very weak AFC South. What's not weak, though, is the AFC North. The Pittsburgh Steelers check in next. Alex Kazor from Sewer Depot gives us a look. Before we head to him, here's one last word from sponsors. Okay, without further ado, it's Alex Kazor from Sewer Depot. Check it out. Alex, welcome to the show for our tour in the league covering the Pittsburgh Steelers for this week. Well, for this part of it anyways. Alex, how you doing? I'm doing well, Derek. Thanks for having me on. Well, I got to tell you, I was very impressed with what the Steelers did, at least during the draft and just moving around in the offseason. Lots of buzz around that. But you've been in camp now for the last couple of weeks. Is the buzz from that offseason matching with what you're seeing in camp? I would say so to a large degree. I understand that hope springs eternal. There's probably some Cardinals fans saying, we can do it. Clayton Toon can lead us. And that's kind of the vibe you get in each training camp as everyone is rightful to, to be optimistic. But I really like the offseason that Pittsburgh has had, the direction that they've taken. I think off the top, there's a clear vision and identity offensively for who they want to be, how they want to win. I think that was discovered the back half of last year after the bye they want to be big personnel run the ball effectively stay on schedule ball control and win that more low scoring type of game 17 14 as opposed to 
34-31. It's uh, really kind of the 49ers of the East is what Pittsburgh is trying to build. But the offseason, in terms of the guys they brought in, upgraded the offensive line with Isaac Sayamalu, left tackle Broderick Jones, who's competing for that spot, may not win it, but he's certainly competing pretty hard for it. Um, veteran presences like Allen Robinson at wide receiver, and an overall a really good draft class where you bring in, uh, again, Jones and Joey Porter Jr. and Darnell Washington, and even fourth-rounder Nick Herbig has had a, had a good camp so far to start. So there are some questions about this team, and they're in a very difficult AFC and a very difficult AFC North, but I think this roster and this team looks a lot better than where things sat one year ago. So when you're looking at this draft class, just going there first, what were the strengths and the weaknesses of this class, and what really has you optimistic? Well, I think for Pittsburgh, from their standpoint, in terms of what they were looking at, they wanted two areas to address off the top, and they did, offensive tackle and cornerback. It was, to me, a really good cornerback class, maybe lacked that top-end, super blue-chip type of prospect, like a sauce gardener, but good quality depth in that you know mid to late first round and you see Porter a guy that it was first round talent slip into early day two in Pittsburgh holding that 32nd spot from the Chase Claypool deal from Chicago they had gotten seven or eight offers for that pick and they could have easily traded out and moved down and Tennessee moved up one spot behind but they wanted Porter so much they turned down all those offers that I'm sure were, were really tempting and they, they took Porter the tackle class was it was a pretty big, big fall off after Paris Johnson, Darnell Wright, and Broderick Jones. Those were kind of the big three at tackle, and Peter Skaronsky as well. And so I think Pittsburgh, seeing that Johnson had gone and Wright had gone to Chicago, they wanted to get that that tackle. They trade up for Broderick Jones, and then to get somebody like Darnell Washington, who fell to them, you know, far uh, later than anyone thought he would go, in part due to some medical concerns reportedly but also was a really strong and deep tight end class. So I think the depth of the of the corner class and the tight end class played heavily in Pittsburgh's favor. So a question I'm having here about with what they did and what you're talking about, how they want to win. What does that really say about Kenny Pickett? That, that may sound a little adversarial. I'm, I'm not trying to be mm-hmm. at all. Sure. You, you know, he, when in the past, like when the Steelers went out there and got Roethlisberger years ago, initially they had a very, very, run-heavy offense, very physical, and eventually over time kind of evolve into a much more pass-heavy offense. Is that what we're seeing here with Kenny Pickett? Like, just giving him time to continue growing as a quarterback and someone maybe one day who will they'll rely more on his arm? Or are they showing a lack of faith in him that he can be in a more wide-open offense? No, I think it's the former. And you make the really good point to harken back to Ben's early days. When he stepped in in 04 and 05, those teams look a lot different than the 08 team and the team that went to the Super Bowl in, what was that, 2010 that lost to Green Bay, where it was more of Ben's team. And, you know, Pittsburgh's just going off of how they won last year. And they tried the first half of the year, kind of a bumbling mess in terms of new pieces and who's the quarterback. And they were playing from behind. And, not able to run the ball effectively and just getting trounced. And they really changed that script the second half, and they wanted to play ball control. No team ran the ball as much as the Pittsburgh Steelers the second half of the year from week 10 and on. Uh, they went from one of the worst third-down offenses the first half of the year to, I believe, the NFL's best third-down offense the back half of the year. And so those were key elements of why this team went 7-2 and two down the stretch and where uh, Joe Flacco went away from sneaking into the wild-card spot at that seven seat. So it's not a lack of faith in Pickett. There's just an understanding of he's still first full year starting. And, you know, you want to build up this offensive line and, and complement him. Well, 
Kenny Pickett will still have to make plays. I mean, he's not going to sit there and throw 15 passes a game. They're still going to ask him to, to step up, and this offense has to create more big plays downfield. They did not do that last year. So Pickett will have to to improve, and, and, and Pickett made plays the end of last year with back-to-back wins over the, the Raiders and the Ravens on the road in primetime. That was a big grow-up type performance. It's just an understanding that you know Pickett can't have everything on his plate, and he's not going to be Patrick Mahomes in year two, and you're facing some really good quarterbacks in this AFC North, all first-rounders in Burrow and Jackson and Watson, and you got to find some kind of counter-correction uh, to, to, to compete against those guys. It would seem to be the way to beat those other teams is to be a, tra- a traditional Steelers offense where you grind them down and keep those quarterbacks off the field. That That's what yeah. I would think how I'll counter that. Sure, th- that's exactly it. Because if you try to go toe-to-toe with the Bur- with Burrow and the Bengals offense, you're probably not going to win. Their offense has been tuned to be prolific in the passing game with Burrow and Chase and Higgins and just kind of schemed up that way. And so... Pittsburgh knows, you, you know, they went against Kansas City in the wildcard game in, in Ben's final year, and they got blown out in that one because you're just not going to score 40 points and try to beat Mahomes at his own game. So go, so zig one other zag. It's kind of that countercultural aspect. There's some concerns with that because you wonder, I think Pittsburgh's built themselves to have a high floor where they're going to be competitive and in the mix, and it's reasonable to expect them to make the playoffs. But can you make an actual playoff run with that model? I think Pittsburgh, again, wants to be the 49ers but they may end up as the Titans with a good run game, good running back, physical style, head coach that you love to play for, old school kind of guy, but how far does that really get you? There's a concern there about the ceiling of this team, but I understand Pittsburgh's position because A, it worked last year, and B, it's probably the best way to try to compete when you're faced with some of the best quarterbacks in football playing in the AFC and the AFC North. But if I'm I'm honest, though, I like the Steelers receivers a lot more than I, I would like the Niners receivers or even the Titans receivers, uh, you know, Allen Robinson coming over from the Rams, the Rams just didn't, didn't use him right. You know, he still is Allen Robinson and I'm hearing lots of great things about Pickens and we all know what Deontay Johnson can do. So maybe in my view, maybe there's more to that offense than just the 49ers or the Titans. I think there's a lot more potential there, a lot more for growth. The, the Niners are very, in my view, one dimensional. Rely on the running game and get the ball out as fast as you can when you can in the passing game. I, I like the Steelers' offense potential more. Sure, I'm with you on that. I think skill skill position wise, they're in a good place. Now the the counter to that will be, I think the 49ers are better coached and better schemed and game planned for than, than what Pittsburgh has shown. But we'll see how this year looks. A- absolutely, there's talent. It's not it's not a team that needs. I mean, they need to improve their scheme, but they're not solely built around that. When you have George Pickens, who I think is showing a lot of growth in year two to be more than just a vertical receiver. He will still very much be that guy that will mosh you and be on all the highlight reels, but he's improving and expanding his route tree, which would be important for him and for this offense. Deontay Johnson has quietly had a good camp. I think he's going to bounce back from a pretty lackluster 2022. You're right, Robinson in the slot, that trusty underneath zone beater option route, sure-handed guy, that's going to be his role. The return of Calvin Austin, who was a fourth-round pick, a year ago, kind of feels like getting a draft pick back. He missed this whole year with a, a foot injury. He's showing his speed and been a, a real vertical playmaker so far in training camp. Pat Frymuth, Najee Harris, Jalen Warren, improved offensive line. Pickett in year two. The offense last year for Pittsburgh was the youngest offense in football. They're going to, they went through their going growing pains. They, they went through their struggles and hopefully are on the other side of that. So there's every reason to believe this offense should be better and they need to be better for me and for Matt Canada the OC it's put up or shut up you know all the pieces are in place this team has gone through their struggles now it's time to produce 
So I so I caught what you said though you think that the Niners are more are, are basically better scheme, better coached. What does that really say about how you feel about Mike Tomlin and where he's where he is and where he's been? Well, I'm still a Mike Tomlin fan. I, I think there's probably too many extreme positions. I will say I get annoyed by the never had a losing record streak that Tomlin has, and I respect it, and that's so tough to do, and it's admirable, mm -hmm. but it's not the standard in Pittsburgh. They don't hang banners for going 9-8. and eight. They put trophies in trophy cases. When I make that comment, it's more about the offensive side. Tomlin obviously has more of a defensive background. It's more Matt sure. Canada versus Kyle Shanahan, and that's a, it's a pretty easy one to, to decipher there. I think Tomlin's a, a good coach. He's going to coach as long as he wants to, like Bill Cowher, like Chuck Knoll. He will leave when he wants to. He will not be fired. He's going to retire who knows when, 10, 15, 20 years from now, whenever he's ready, it's going to be the approach there for Tomlin and the Steelers. So I think this team has to, to win a playoff game. They have not done so since 2016. That's a drought that's not acceptable, but I'm not looking to fire the guy either because I don't know who else would step in. And Tomlin has always kept this team together and battled through adversity when they were the underdog and dealt with so much stuff over the years. So there's just acknowledgement that this team can do more, needs to do more, but I'm not looking to uh, discredit Mike Tomlin or push him out the door. And you said, you know, 2016, it's almost unheard of a Steelers, sure. a Steelers streak without a win in playoffs. It's, it's 2023. It's their longest drought since Chuck Knoll arrived in 1969. I think whatever they had done prior to the Immaculate Reception, that's been the longest playoff drought streak. And so it's, it's a pain point. And listen, I understand it's hard to win in the NFL and you're in the AFC that's going to face some really good teams. You know, if you're a wild card team, you're going to be facing... Who knows? Cincinnati, Buffalo, Kansas City, something like that. It, it is not easy to do, but it, it has to happen because that's the standard in Pittsburgh. A long standard. This is, you know, this is. I, I, I'm a little caught off guard by that. I got to be honest with you. Here, I didn't. I didn't even realize that. 2016. This is the yeah. freaking Pittsburgh Steelers, man. I mean, they've been to the playoffs, but they got upset by Jacksonville in 2017, Blake Bortles beating Ben. And then there was, of course, in uh, 2020, getting upset by the Browns in Pittsburgh when the Browns had uh, Stefanski at home because of COVID. And it felt like Pittsburgh should win that game. And it was a whole mess. And they got blown up by the Chiefs a year later. So they've been to the playoffs. But yeah, the, their playoff successes have been uh, very much absent. So talk about this defense, too. I mean, this is the Steelers have long been the Pittsburgh Steelers defense, the Steel Curtain. And They've had some ups and downs in recent years. Where are they now? I like the John Facenta impression. That that harkens me back to the 70s Steelers. <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional or not. Um, no, it, it's it's a good group, and it should be a strength. And obviously a lot depends around T.J. Watt. And you know, th there's honestly probably no one more valuable to this team than T.J. Watt, even more so than Kenny Pickett, just because look at the record whenever T.J. Watt plays versus when he doesn't. It's night and day. Bottom line is Pittsburgh does not win when T.J. Watt does not play, and they win when he does. And so he is such an anchor to this defense. But it's not just him, Kim Hayward, Minka Fitzpatrick. There are some questions with this team. It's a, a lot of new people at Hubs of Communication. It's a, basically a brand-new inside linebacker group led by Cole Holcomb and Landon Roberts. They signed Juan Alexander early in training camp. At slot corner, you lose Cam Sutton, lose Arthur Millette. You got some different pieces they're trying to figure things out. Uh, Patrick Peterson comes in and gets signed. You lose Terrell Edmonds of Philadelphia. Keanu Neal comes in. And so I have a bit of concern about some early growing pains. I know they're veteran guys who played a lot of ball, but still just trying to come together. Um, th that could be an issue early in the season. But overall, Pittsburgh's front seven should be stout. The pass rush should be back in full force. It's Watt. Alex Highsmith with, with, with his breakout 2022 campaign. 
Hayward, Ogunjobi. They draft a good nose tackle, active athlete in Keanu Benton. The inside linebackers have impressed in camp. Paul Holcomb, Alexander, and Roberts. And you still got Minka back there at free safety. So it should still be the strength of this team. So put it all together. You have a Steelers offense that's, that is going kind of back to the old school days. You have a defense that's that's improved. It runs through Watt, though. And you have a team that I think is hungry. I, I'm getting the impression this is a hungry franchise that needs that needs that win, that needs to take a step forward. How does this team match up with the rest of the AFC North, in your view? They're going to be competitive. My, my favorite stat to illustrate the AFC North is every team in the AFC North went 3-3 three and three in the division last year, the only division in football that had that kind of parity, where everybody just beat up on everybody, and it's probably going to be more of the same this year. Now, the Bengals have earned the right to be the favorite, and, and even with the Burrow injury right now, they, they should be the favorite for the AFC North. Uh, Baltimore's, you know, Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson can stay healthy. They're going to be, you know, right in this thing. And we'll see about the Sean Watson in year two. But I think all four teams in the North are trying to argue their case for why they can win the division, make the playoffs, go on a run. It may be the most competitive division in all of football. So what does Pittsburgh stack up? I'm not entirely sure. It probably will come down to that week 18 finale at Baltimore to decide maybe both teams playoff baits, but it should be competitive and go down to the wire. Again, Pittsburgh, I think, has built themselves to be a high floor team. I mean, they went nine and eight last year with all the mess they had. I mean, they were they were the worst team in football or one of the worst teams in football at the bye week and still turn things around. I do wonder, could this team be tangibly and sincerely better than last year, but still win nine games just because of how tough the AFC in that division is? That, that That's a thought in my head. I think this team will be will be better that will be competitive and the expectation should be that they make the playoffs. All right, well, let's they make the playoffs. Where do you take them now? Where do you rank them in the AFC? You know, honestly, Derek, I hadn't thought about that much. I'll kind of kick that idea around a bit more before the season begins. There's three games to be played, and not that preseason evaluation is going to dictate too much for regular season predictions, but more of the injury aspect. You lose one guy, and it could change the scope and kind of tone of the season. Uh, but again, I think Pittsburgh will be in it. They should at least be above 500 in 2023. And if they don't make the playoffs, I think it will be a disappointment. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. And I'll kind of revisit things with more specific rankings and predictions and all that kind of good stuff as we get closer to September 10th, their week one opener against the 49ers. Okay, one last question. This is it. Fancy fans, fancy sports. When you're looking at the standouts for this team, where are they? Where where do you Put some fancy sports uh, standouts for your team. Yeah, I think George Pickens provides good value. I know last year he was such a feast famine kind of guy because he was that vertical type. So it was tough to trust him if you wanted him as a wide receiver three or two in your lineup. You know, you can get a really good performance or, or kind of a dud. I think you're going to see more consistency this year. I think Pat Frymuth is a sneaky second tier wave type of tight end. If you can't get Travis Kelsey or George Kittle or somebody like that, you know, in the third round or so, get a Frymuth in the seventh or eighth round. Darnell Washington will be a popular name. I think there's going to be some red zone production, but probably too hard to trust to really draft him as anything more than a, a late round fly or dynasty type of stash. Uh, Deontay Johnson, I think, will bounce back. He may lose some of the target share and volume share to Pickens in the run-heavy orientation of this offense. So PPR leagues, he may be not quite as valuable in the past, but the touchdowns should, there should be some touchdown reverse regression. He will not be scoreless in 2022. 
Najee Harris is taking it in PPR leagues because Jalen Warren's the, the third down back, and so Harris has probably lost some of that value that he had in his rookie year in those half-point, full-point PPR leagues. Um, Warren's a must-have handcuff to Najee Harris if you're drafting him, and then Kenny Pickett um, probably you know back up, you know get him in the last round or two um, as a kind of a quarterback number two if you're drafting a stud at the top. That's kind of my overall uh, prediction uh, for the for the fantasy aspect of this team. Well, Alex, thanks so much for taking time on the stage to talk about Pittsburgh Steelers. Can you let people know where they can find you? Absolutely. You can find us over at SteelersDepot.com. Once the Friday night game against the Bucks kicks off, we'll have a ton of film rooms and studies on that. I'm out at training camp every single day, a couple more practices to go this year with daily camp reports and, and logs. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. You can find the website at Seagulls Depot. Derek, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks again. and. Hopefully we're talking again soon. Take care. Yeah, take care. So I got to be real. There, there are a few teams in my view who had, who did, who had a better off season than the Steelers did. Their draft was dead on. They made the right moves. They, they cut the right players. You know, no one wants to feel cut, but if you're going to cut a certain guy, that's the guy you cut. They just made, they, they, they turned all the right dials. They, they made every move to get themselves back in contention quickly. I'm not sure I agree with Mike Tomlin's move towards the grind it out. You know, I think they have too many weapons for that. Let Kenny pick a play. But it's his team, and they have all the talent to win this division if they play their style. If they can really grind out teams, they can make the magic happen. So watch the Steelers. They're going to be a team to watch. And, man, they're going to give the Rams all kinds of problems this year. All right, so follow us on Twitter at Rams Talk Radio, Talk Rams. Okay, follow me at DC Apollo. Follow the entire team. And until next time, we're out of here. Have a great one.